Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I am your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch. And I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you today, Matt? I've slammed the nega bands together, so I'm I'm free from the negative zone for for a limited time. Fantastic. Well, I thank you for your limited time engagement. Uh, I'm going to start by apologizing and thanking uh, all of our patrons and supporters out there. Last week was... Um, not a great week for Rossi or myself, uh, so we apologize for the lack of show, uh, either show, so we're going to see if we can uh, make that up to you a little bit uh, this week, but I do want to thank everybody for their understanding and their support. It did mean a lot, especially to me, uh, after last week, so thank you very, very much. Um, Nothing to me. You're all doomed. Doomed. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about since we, uh, we had that week off. We have two afterlives that we can talk about as well as an interesting theory from, uh, some information that found up in an item in the beta, which is some intriguing information potentially about the Nathrazine. I'm going to let Matt go ahead and do some explaining on that one. We should point out that we're not 100% sure that the book in question, it's a, it's a book that's found in Shadowlands. We're not 100% sure that the book is written by Anathrasin. It, it all signs point to it. Uh, I'm personally convinced, but I just want to say that nowhere in this book does it say, I, Anathrasim, am betraying everything and doing all evil stuff. I just want to make that clear. The, mm-hmm. the, the book does not actually say this book is written by Anathrasim anywhere in it, but... What it is is a report, and it's a report back to a figure in the Shadowlands that is never named. We don't know exactly who it's written to, uh, but it's a report of efforts on the part of somebody who is almost certainly an atheist. Come on, guys, it's a dreadlord. Uh, <clears throat> talking about how they are basically infiltrating every, like, the Aspect Legion. Of reality. The, the light, the, you know, the, the holy light. The, the void, 
they're they're infiltrating all of it. Uh, they've got they've got people everywhere, and they're they're trying to subtly manipulate them and move them uh, in the direction that the unnamed you know subject of the letter, the person who's written to. It's like, you know, you know, as per your orders type stuff, you know, we're, we're doing this. And he talks about how consuming fell is distasteful, but necessary to manipulate the uh, Legion. And it talks about how the, you know, the light are such, you know, the light will accept the second they, they believe you've converted to them, they will immediately accept you and allow you to, you know, move freely within them. Which is pretty disturbing if you remember Legion, because there was Lothraxian, the uh, the dreadlord who'd supposedly converted to the light and was now you know Uther's not Uther sorry uh, Teralion's best friend, and everybody liked him and everybody trusted him, and this book definitely makes it sound like he's a plant mm-hmm. working for the the Nathrism. And we we Joe had talked about this before. I want to make sure people get get that back way back when we first saw shadowlands joe was the one who said those guys uh looking at various creatures from i believe it was revendreth yep might have been from maldraxxus too he said they look a lot like dreadlords revendreth it was revendreth where i pointed it out where i was like there's a lot of physiology that is shared there's a lot of a biology that's shared with dreadlords yeah and the letter is it, because the the letter or book or whatever you want to call it is written to to a sire. Some people think it's Sire Denathrius that it's written to. Which and now that, that we've seen him, like he he screams Dreadlord model, right? Yeah, he he's very similar. And because Denathrius is working for the jailer, uh, the the idea is that the jailer may somehow be sending people off to infiltrate all these various things, and we we know. From back in when when uh, Chronicle came out, we know that the Dreadlords, when they were first met by Sargeras, when he first saw them, they were on a Void planet studying the way the Void was infecting the planet. Yeah, not not so, part and parcel with the Void, studying the Void, and that's something that I've we I've had a lot of discussions in the last couple of days about that particular point. Is at the time of discovery, they weren't they weren't agents of the Void yet. Well, that's that's one of the things that you know we know that they have an, an affinity for it, but we we knew that they weren't actually part of it, and we know that it's meeting the dreadlords that supposedly tips Sargeras over into Puron. You know, no, we just got to destroy everything. So it's possible Legion only even exists because of these guys. If the dreadlords are the people that this book is r- referring to, and they've infiltrated the light. They've infiltrated the void. They've infiltrated fell. They've got people in nature, the the life. They they specifically mention life, that they've got agents inside life. Um, that's they, and they even say the titans are easily manipulated. Yep. They have some. They have agents within the titans as well. Um, that's a lot. Uh, that's and, and you think about what that would mean. One of the things it would mean is that the, the Dreadlords have a connection to the Shadowlands that have from the beginning. Which we've which kind of again, we've talked about that in the past, I think, a few times. Yeah. It would also mean that we now would understand how there's a possible path from the jailer to the Legion in terms of Frostmourne and the Helm of Domination. Yeah, because we, we know would, that they were we know that they were created in the Shadowlands, we never knew exactly how uh, Sargeras and his flunkies got a hold of it. Kill Jaden specifically. It was Kill, Kill Jaden, Jaden, yeah. Them and Kill Jaden who used them. Uh, one of the things we should point out is that before recently, we didn't know 
where the Helm of Domination or Frostmourne came from. That's new information. We didn't it was know new information, that. yes. Yeah, but, but we did know that the Dreadlords were involved in getting those weapons out and getting Frostmourne out into the world. Uh, it was Malganus who worked to corrupt Arthas and get him up to Northrend to, to pick up the sword. Um, and it's no, it should be noted that he was very surprised when Arthas tried to kill him using mm-hmm. it. That was that he didn't, that wasn't part of the plan. Um, Arthas is clashing with the dreadlords. Remember it was the dreadlords who were left in charge of Lordaeron when the Legion finally came in and took over. So it was the dreadlords who were ruling the, you know, the corpse choked, uh, scourge infested, you know, remains of Lordaeron after the Legion was beaten as if they had no difficulty with this concept. They weren't bothered at all by the fact that the Legion had failed. And they've always been shown like in Warcraft three, the, the dreadlords were shown meeting in some strange otherworldly place that we, we've never figured out what it is. Um, some people argued that it was the place that Illidan raided when he got the, the key that he used to uh, open the portal to um, Argus in the first place. In the book, Illidan, uh, the, the one that came out during Legion, which was a very good book, by the way, and you should read it. But we've never really known. And this book, if it pans out, if it turns out it is the Dreadlords and it turns out that they have been infiltrating everything from the start... They, the ducks are all in a row for that. Yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff already in game and the book actually mentions there, there's a, a connection to the, the Ilganoth whispers. And uh, um, unfortunately I don't remember the whisper completely, but there's a really interesting thing about he serves six masters, but really only, you know, only one, the, know, yeah, only the, one. the cunning ones kneel before six masters, but serve only one. Yeah. And so, that would that would fit very well into this. The cunning ones being the dreadlords, who you know you can't and that that fits them perfectly. And then the second and, part of that, which is six seats at the high table, six mouths that hunger, one will consume all others. Yeah, and that would definitely be along the lines of what the jailer is trying to do here. But one of the interesting things too is that the book even points out that they're they're kind of playing with fire and with the void, um, because the void could know what they're doing. Because they know everything. Like they have, they, they can see all these different alternate paths. It's quite possible that while the Dreadlords are, are trying to infiltrate the Void, that the Void is fully aware of it. And we've seen the Void in Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. We've seen them in Bastion. They're attacking it. So it's quite possible the Void is, is aware of what's going on here. And it's all, you know, we'll remember, this reminds me of the fact that there's an there's a old god who called himself the old god of death. And that, that always kind of comes back to me. Why was Yog saron the old god of death? Why did Arthas use so much Saranite? Mm-hmm. What's the connection there? Is you know, there's there's more to this, and it it, it, it it's fascinating. I, I want to let Joe talk about it some because I've been talking a lot here. Do you, if you have anything you want to throw in before we move on, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of this whole idea of the Nathrazim being so ingrained in everything from the very beginning for a very particular purpose is intriguing to, to say the very least. And thinking of all of the moments in Warcraft history that they've been around and th- think about it. How long was, uh, why can't I think of his name now? Veramothris. 
uh, chilling out in Undercity, right? Is he the reason that the plague got... Uh, the, the new plague that was created for the Wrathgate was such a success because you play through a little bit of Maldraxxus and you can see about that plague. You can see where some of that virility or, 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 or virus like nature sort of is born where like sort of like the proto uh, version or, or real version of what was the scourge, what was this undead, what was being raised by the sense of plague. Did he let that sort of like slide in. Was that part of that machination to sort of consume everything? Was that, uh, was that part of that purpose? Is the Nathrazine responsible for what's happening with Alun's disconnect from our plane of existence? Is there something that they could have done that uh, maybe worked against it? Are they still around? Because we know that they don't really die, right? We've seen, Oh yeah, Malganus showed right back up. I yeah. mean, we thought Malganus was dead because Arthas supposedly killed him, and then there he was. He was right there. Um, we saw Varimathras. What's interesting is the Legion was torturing Varimathras in Antorus. So it's possible that the, the Legion was starting to figure out, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing that's, that I started thinking about too. Like, Is that why Sargeras was enveloping Azeroth? Did Sargeras actually start to have an idea of what was actually going on? And we won't know because he's over in the, you know, Pantheon seat doing whatever he's doing, being stabbed with toothpicks by Illidan. But it's one of those really interesting concepts of did Sargeras know more because of that, because of him sitting there and torturing Veramothris? Was it something that was unexpected? Because we talk about, you know, Malganus getting killed by Arthas and not expecting it and then popping back up. How did he manage to do that? Where did, did he just travel to the Shadowlands and come right back out? Uh, was Varimathras an exception to that rule because he was killed and put through the, the Legion's sort of engine of, of rebirth and, and torture and reprogramming? Uh, what What was it that he spilled? Because when we see him... He's not right. Like, even by Dreadlord standards, he's he's not right at all. And it was always interesting to me to, to think about that. What secrets did he divulge? If he divulged any. And was it intentional? Or was it something where this is all part of the game and this was part of that further infiltration where it's pushing Sargeras to that point where... Everything that happened with the stabbing of Azeroth was all part of breaking down that wall between Azeroth and the Shadowlands. And it should be pointed out that even figures like Tychondrius that Illidan killed. Still around. Came back. Yep. Um, so um, Deathrock, Balnazar. I mean, we, we've seen all of them in Legion. Balnazar came back. Um, and, you know, it's possible that they came back because the uh, the Legion machinery you know, rebirth them like it did all the other demons, but it's also possible that they're, it's quite possible the Legion got the idea of it from the Nathrazim who themselves can do it because they're from the Shadowlands. I mean, we were always told that the, you know, demons, when they're killed and sent to the Twisting Nether, they come back and there's that whole thing Illidan used to say about his immortal demon soul. Um, but it's possible that the Nathrazim are the ones who gave Sargeras the idea to create Antorus and did so in order to take something that would be offensive to them. The, the demon ability to die and return would be really offensive to Shadowlands creatures. 
Because that's yeah. not how it's supposed to go. Nope. You're supposed to die and go to the Shadowlands and your anima gets returned. And you're not supposed to be this weird, chaotic, fell, soul destruction thing and just keep coming back. If in Think about it this way. Fell is like the worst thing to a Shadowlands being. Because Fell is created through the destruction of the soul. Remember, they use soul engines. They dis- they burn souls for power. If you're burning the soul for fell power, it doesn't go to the Shadowlands. It's it's they would be horrified by this. It would be an absolute problem. That and hence consuming fell is distasteful because it's the it's like the soul, the anima that they use is like destroyed to create fell. It'd be like sucking down ashes all the time, and that's fascinating to me. That concept that you know they've they've infiltrated the legion, they infiltrated the demons because demons existed before the legion. They did, but the legion is in very big part a creation of the Nathrazim. They're the ones who shaped it. They're, I mean, before Sargeras went and you know got the Eridar, and that must have been that might have been a huge problem for them that they had to work around. And you see, but the Nathrazim are like the they're the, the ground level manipulators. I mean, you got Kill Jaden who calls himself the Deceiver, but you know he's got nothing on the Nathrazim. No, and, and going back to how ingrained they are, just like the list of them is long. I think larger than a lot of people realize. Like, there's a lot of them out there. So, like Tychon, uh, Tychondrius, Anatheron, and, and uh, Mephistroth are like some of the ones that everybody seems to remember. Um, you have Anatheron who was killed at the. Or, "Quote unquote," killed at the Battle of Mount Hygel, so everybody remembers him. Uh, Balnazar uh, was the one that was secretly leading the Scarlet Crusade. Uh, you have uh, Lord Bane Hollow, who was part of the Shadow Council at Jadenar and Fellwood, which is something that a lot of people I, I don't think everyone talks about that anymore. But that was a big thing back then. Uh, you have uh, Beltharis, who "quote unquote" was killed by the Scarlet Crusade, which was led by Balnazar. So. What did that? How, where? What actually happened there? Uh, you have them appearing in, in Netherstorm uh, with what I think is Kulathos. Yeah, uh, you have the one that Kelthos supposedly killed after laying siege to Dalaran. Uh, you have the one that uh, was a Deathrock who held Lordaeron before Sylvanas Windrunner, Windrunner uh, took took that back over. There are just so many, and they're they're all over the place. We've encountered them at every single layer of every single action of every single expansion. Like, everything we've done, there's been a Dreadlord. There's been a Nathrazim watching, waiting, involved in some capacity. And it's just fascinating to think that they've been shaping this from the very, very beginning subtly or leaving like just as much as having a target on them. Cause how many times have we dropped what we were doing to go uh, hell for broke after one of them uh, or to, you know, deal with the Scarlet Crusade or to deal with, uh, you know, the, the runes of Farallorn and Netherstorm or, you know, to deal with the one that's running around Silver Pine Forest in uh, the news, what Gavelmock? It, I, they're just all over the place, and it's just fascinating to think that we haven't really been giving them, I think, the consideration or thought that I, they should have been throughout all of these years, and it's probably going to bite us in the butt. I mean, one thing to keep in mind, too, is like Varimathras, despite having been held in Antorus and tortured, knew everything Sylvanas was doing. Yeah. Oh, everything. Yeah. He knew everything she was doing. He knew exactly what was going to happen in Battle for Azeroth. He, he drops hints. 
when you fight him, he straight up says, oh, yeah, you don't know anything. You don't see what's coming, but I do. How? Just because he's that evil? I mean, they've been torturing him for how long? But he still knows everything Sylvanas is doing. And it's not just because he was there in the Undercity watching her. It's because he's got a full... It's like, it would make sense. He's got a full pipeline. If the all the uh, Nathrazim are, are part of this, if they're part of this whole thing, then he, of course he knows what she's doing. And I also find it fascinating, too, because... And, and there's some mild spoilers that I can get into here uh, with the beta, is now considering this and considering how... Uh, the entirety of Revendreth ends that storyline. Like it makes it feel like this has been a long-term gambit from way back when that Sardanathrius has been in, because a lot of the aspects of Sardanathrius and a lot of the Venthyr make it feel like the Dreadlords might have been the proto Venthyr. Like if they were all raised, like if they were the first raised by Sardanathrius, and they're all linked some interesting implications there it might have even been like the, the species of which sire denathrius is the eldest mm-hmm. like they've all been born out of revendreth and then just the rest of them went off to do this but one of the things i'm going to pa- talk about which is not this book but it's something I, I wrote a post for the site about today talking about helia because there's a voice line at the end of the other side dungeon where muzala takes credit for bringing yeah. helia into uh, the jailer's the orbit. pantheon of death, yeah, and he also basically takes credit for having gotten Sylvanas on the throne in the first place. Um, but it's it's more than that. He basically says the the way he phrases it, he basically says all all making a deal for for you know Odin's eye, and some people have taken that to mean that he's promised Helia to give her Odin's eye, but I've what been if- thinking about it. I've been thinking about it a lot. What if instead the whole deal with Odin was to get Helia? Yeah. That they never were interested in Odin. They didn't care about Odin. They wanted Helia. So they made the deal with Odin knowing Odin would probably force Helia to become a Valkyr. And the Valkyr are basically reverse engineered Kyrian. Yep. And if you look at Helia, she was a Titan Forge. She wasn't one of the keepers. She was just a just a, a Vrykul. But she was Titan Forged, and she was good enough at what she did that Master Ra, Raden, had her help him create the elemental planes. So when they were creating planes, creating new places of existence, and they were walling them off, trapping things inside them, Raden had Helya help him with that. And later on, she got so good that when afterwards, when when uh, Odin decided, I don't want my Halls of Valor anywhere near Olduar anymore, and she she's the one that floated them up and put them in another plane of existence. That's why when she turned on Odin, it was easy for her to trap him in the Halls of Valor because she's the one that made the plane they existed in in the first place. She's the one that moved the Halls of Valor out of Olduar, which is why they're not there now and put them in another plane of existence at Odin's request. She was loyal enough to him to even summon somebody who now probably turned out to be Muzala and make the deal. And, you know, the question becomes, how did Muzala get the quote unquote specs for Kyrian? But think about this. Odin's Titan, a Titan forged Odin, specifically a Titan keeper with the power of a Titan. You know, he's, he's, he is, 
at one point he was even inhabited by one. He, he draws directly on their power. He is one of their creations. He is invested with their power. He was the prime designate. And somehow he can make his own Kyrian. He didn't know how. He had to be told how. But the power to do it wasn't given to him by Mizala. Just the knowledge of how to do it. Mm-hmm. How do Titans have that power? How do their creations have that power? And how does that tie into the first ones that we know existed and we know probably created the Shadowlands? Because there's a portal created by a first one in the middle of the Maw and a Titan-forged being, or possibly not a Titan-forged being, but one who's been touched by a Titan can activate that gateway. Jaina can't activate it. Thrall can't activate it. But you, somebody who's worn a Titan's power around your neck, carried around, you know, you know what I'm saying here? Yeah, we you one one who's it. gone through the the cleansing process of a Titan facility, one who's been in close proximity to how many Titan engines at this point, who yeah. has walked through the halls of origination, who has sat in the seat of the Pantheon. Like we were there at one point, and that's not something that any of the other NPCs can say, really. And that's that's like yeah, Magni could, Magni and Velen, sure. yeah, he could. But otherwise, you know, I'm just thinking about this in terms of like, if they were going for Helia the whole time, it would make sense. If you want to breach the barriers around a prison plane created by the first ones, if you're the jailer and you want to get out but you can't get out. You find somebody who's yeah. used to architecting prisons. Yeah, get somebody who's who's good at creating pocket planes. And make her if you get her to become a, a Valkyr, now she also understands Kyrian. Because she's been turned into one, essentially. And what's happening in this expansion? She's corrupting Kyrian. Yeah. The, the most worn serve her. She's the one doing this. And once you've done that, now you think about it in terms of the, the, the Helm of Domination and Frostmourne, if, if the, if the Nathrazim are the way that the Legion got them, the Legion wouldn't have necessarily asked a ton of questions. The, the, the Nathrazim is like, yeah, we got these artifacts, use these. Were they put there to let somebody else start making Valkyr? Because they were given to Arthas, and, and Arthas the used them. Do? Yeah. He used them to make Valkyr. We always thought he'd somehow studied Helia to do that. Or looked but into he, the Shadowlands, right? Yeah. But that, in fact, maybe that's exactly what he did, just like Odin. Mm -hmm. He could look into the Shadowlands. He could figure out how to do it. And the power of those artifacts is directly drawn from the Maw. And it's channeled through what? What was Arthas Menethil? He was a human. He was created by Titans. He was, you know, descended from their creations. Uh, there's a lot to this that we don't really understand yet, but I think that that, that whole thing we saw, and this is going to tie into Bastion. So I think at this point we should just start talking about Bastion. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, but one of the things we see in the Bastion short is that when Arthas struck Uther with Frostmourne, and we don't know that this is what it does to everybody, but we know that it, it, it traps souls inside of itself. It, it, it's one of the things it did. It trapped his soul inside of it the moment he touched it. It, it you know, took Terranus's soul within it. it. It had, you know, thousands of souls screaming inside of it. When he killed Uther with it, Uther got ripped in half. And half of him, or a part of him, went to the Shadowlands and became a Kyrian. 
but his wound was so great that he was still unable to forget his, his mortal life and being just seeing what he had, what had happened to him made Devos start to lose her faith in the Kyrian because she saw that the blade was drawing power from the maw. Think about what if that's what they wanted? They wanted Uther's soul to go there. They knew Uther would be dedicated. They knew he'd be, you know, do you know what I'm saying? He's a servant of the light in such a way that if they, if they could predict where souls would be weighed and sent to, it's very clear that a, a person or a soul with that strong of a sense of duty, that song of a strong of a sense of, of right and righteousness would go to Bastion because and like, if they're infiltrating everything, mm-hmm. if they have somebody in the light, they would know that the light's easy to predict. They believe in one true path. And when, when was Lithraxian turned? How many at, thousands at of years ago? Years. Yeah. Remember it's even though, the, even though the, uh, the time is different in the, in the twisting nether. And we know that that's, they, they were around for a thousand years. The thousand years of war is the story where he's introduced. He was there before they even showed up. Yeah, and he and was there before there Uther ever died. He was there before yeah. any of that stuff really, really happened, right? Yeah, so. so if if he's been feeding them information on the light, they'd know exactly how to play this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you look at the Lich King, the Lich King was not tremendously invested in helping the, the Legion actually win. Like, as soon as they... And he didn't, the Legion, the, when, when the Legion came and they immediately dismissed Arthas and were like, yeah, go pound sand. The Lich King doesn't get ex- upset about it. In fact, the Lich King is perfectly happy about it because now he can send Arthas to give Illidan the skull of Gul'dan and basically take Tychondrius out. And if it's all a plan, Tychondrius would have been just fine with it. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot here. And, we should talk about the Bastion Short in general. Do you want to like recap the Bastion Short? Or do you want me to do it? Go ahead, please. Okay. The Bastion Short is basically it starts with you know Uther essentially being murdered. Uh, he arrives in Bastion and he's told that his you know his new life will begin and he will you know he'll he'll leave behind his mortal existence. There's no evil in the Shadowlands and Uther the whole time is like no he must be punished he betrayed. He, oh, he, he, betrayed he can't let go, people. basically. You know, he, he murdered me. He must be punished. There must be justice. And the, the, the carrier, like, you know, go ahead and forget about all that. And he's like, no. Uh, and then you see Devos, who's the, the, the main carrier. I forget what her role is, but it's pretty important. Um, she's, she's a big deal. And not, she's working not Archon, first. right? No, no, she's not the Archon, but she's like one of the, one of the aspect type peoples. They're, they're various carrier who like have a, a specific purview, and I can't remember what hers is. I apologize. Uh, I've done Bastion like eighty times, but it, it's always the the various names don't stick. But but Devos is important, and she's seeing him, and she's like, "This doesn't." I mean, he's just so like I don't know Paragon. how. He's, oh, Paragon, thank you. Um, and she's like, "I don't understand how he's going to let go." And uh, um, the voice of Tuvok playing another Kyrian. And you never—I don't remember who he's playing. Like I don't—I don't remember the, the character's name. I don't think it's ever even mentioned in the short. But he—he's there, and he's like, you know, be careful. And, and meanwhile, I'm going. It's Tuvok. What are you trying to kid me? And that's Tuvok. <laughs> uh, but he's basically telling her, you know, be careful what you say, because she says at one point, it feels like they've made a mistake sending him here. And and he's like, you know, be careful. You can't. The, the Archon. They, none of this can be a mistake. 
there are no mistakes. That can't happen. And so she goes to Uther and she's like, look, I, you know, you have to let go. And he's like, I can't. How can I let go when I've been wounded like this? And he shows her the wound that Frostmourne inflicted. And she's like, what? Like that's, you're not supposed to be wounded. Your soul is your soul. And she like, she goes, show me and touches it. And she sees Arthas kill him. And she sees at the moment Arthas killed him, you can see it in the, in the, uh, the, the, the video. There's like this moment where like, there's two forms above him. One is like this blue form. That's like, just, it's just squiggles. And then there's a golden one behind him. And it's like, it's at this moment where it feels like he's been pulled into two pieces and Frostmourne pulled part of him into it, but the rest went to Bastion. And because of that, he's got this unhealing wound on his soul. And Devos sees this and freaks out because a, that's not supposed to happen. And B the sword, the runes on the sword are from the maw. And that means, you know, to her, if that's Frostmourne is clearly drawing upon the Maw's power, the Maw is loose. There's there's entities from the Maw are loose. And she goes to the Archon and the others, and she's like, yeah, we, we, we've seen this. Because I've studied him, I've seen this. We, we have to act. And they're like, that that's not possible. The Maw is the Maw. Nothing can leave it. And she's like, he, I, the weapon is from the Maw. I've seen it. And finally, the Archon just tells her to shut up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stop talking. We, we don't want to hear this. It's not true. Shut up and do go do your job. And so Devos is like, all right. And goes and makes Uther one of the uh, ascended. She ascends him, even though he's obviously not ready. He's very clearly not over his mortal life in any way. Um, and because of that, he's the one who, you know, she takes him with her. When, when Arthas dies atop Ice Crown Citadel, they grab his soul and they take it to the maw. And she's like, and, and Devos is already acting pretty weird. Like Devos has gone from loyal member of, of the Kyrian to take your revenge. She's, she's kind of like that needs to be explained. Like, but if, if Helia has reached out and used her moment of doubt to corrupt her, that would make perfect sense. But we need to see some stuff about that. Uh, she's telling him, you know, throw him into the mall. And he's, he says, you know, it's not revenge, it's justice. But at the same time, he's like, he was my student. And there's obvious conflict. Like he, he, part of him wants to not do this. Part of him, you know, still remembers Arthas as his student, still remembers who, you know, the, the good times, for lack of a better word, remembers when they were, you know, as close to friends as a teacher and a student are going to get. And but he still does it. He still throws him into the maw, and that's how the the whole thing ends. We know, and again, this, some spoilers here if you haven't done anything in the beta. But we know Uther is heavily involved in the the whole Kyrian storyline, and the 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 maw sworn. That's that's a big thing. Uther is part of that. So yeah, that's pretty. If you collect, connect that to the thing with the Nathrazim, and if you connect that to the stuff about Helia being the thing that they were after all along, there's a lot going on here. Uh, the idea that Helia was the prize from the beginning, that they were after Helia, that they brought Helia in to serve the jailer, that Muzala was behind it, that was Muzala who made the deal for Odin's eye. Um and we still yeah. have no idea what happened with Odin's eye yet either, too. Like what? No, we do not. Uh, because... I mean, one of the things that I think a lot of people have mentioned, I think you've mentioned it, I think I've mentioned it, is the possibility that the eye is being used in the exact inverse way. Like the whole time that Odin has been looking into the Shadowlands, 
the Shadowlands, the Jailer or Mozala or somebody has been looking through I, Odin into the world. See, I've been kind of wondering about that, specifically with the Jailer, because there's that one piece of its character model that we don't quite understand, and it's this perfect sphere of darkness in the middle of its chest. And I've been wondering since all this stuff is coming out, if maybe that is what happened with the Eye of Moizala, made the deal, brokered the information, got you know, did what he needed to do to get his piece set in motion, and that was the specific ask. Because like you said, Titans can essentially make Valkyr. They have that ability, they didn't have the knowledge. So if they can make them, if they have that ability, why? How? Is that what was important? Is that something that the jailer needed to start all of this in motion? Because Moizala being a Loa of death and wanting to be, you know, raised back to prominence, okay, I can understand why he would want to uh, side with the jailer. I want to consume all of the souls, all the tasty, tasty souls. I'm, I'm on board with this. And if Have that, you looked at Moizala? He's got the giant medallion. Not just his model. Yeah, he's huge. It's not just huge, though. He looks like a troll Mogu. Yeah, he is. And we know know that there were, we know that the trolls found constructs that they, you know, basically treated like Loa. We, We know that they did. Those constructs don't look particularly like trolls, but they were still Titan creations and they were still involved in a lot of the stuff that troll culture comes from. A lot of the, the Zandalari's major city is basically built atop a giant Titan construct. It's built upon the lock for, for, um, I want to say old year. Is it old year? What's the name of that? One of the, one of the old year locks. Yeah. It's built on the lock. And then if you go over to other places of importance to the Titans, the other locks were also places that had troll cities built on them. And that's interesting to me because it suggests that the reason Muzala was brought in might be because he's got a Titan connection. Yep, or at the very least, a Titan connection and an old god connection, because don't forget the old god that we fight. Uh, you know, the whole Gahoon thing is an artificially created old god by the Titans. <laughs> like it exists because they made it. They their experimentation, all of that corruption, everything that happened there, and what if that was also part of the reason he was brought in? Because we talk back to the Nathrazine talking about how they infiltrated all of these places, all of these things. If all they're doing is gathering knowledge, that's probably important for whatever's happening too. Because we can see some elements of that touching, particularly like with the past expansion with the Drust, and now with Ardenweld. There's some parallels there. There's some parallels to sort of that old god corruption creeping and and how it moves and how it infects and how it changes. And as you're going through Arnweld, you're you're looking at not just the anima drought and like you can try to explain it as oh there's just an anima drought going on this is why, but it's not. You you find pretty early on that the drust are involved here. But as you look at the areas that they've sort of uh, taken or or started fighting, it's almost as if it's that same type of infection, that same type of blood curse almost, where all of these fawn, all of these agents of Ardenweld are being turned, not just because, you know, the drust are making them wear a mask, but why, why does that work? How does that work? It's the land is changing. The land is not withering, but morphing and becoming dark and gloomy and having that sort of same atmospheric pressure that you get 
when you go into Nazmir and you start going down into where you would enter into Aldir, like you start playing around there. It's that same atmosphere, that same level of corruption, that same level of changing. And it makes me wonder if the jailer specifically wanted Moizala because there was knowledge to gain from that that worked specifically in that. Not to mention, like, going back with the Drust connection. We know that the jailer is working with the Drust in some way. And, and what always, are the Drust? The, the Drust are our Vrykul. Our Vrykul. The Vrykul who have decided to basically pull their own souls out of their bodies and stick them in constructs. Mm -hmm. Which, again, this whole eternal, this whole internal life thing, this, I shouldn't say eternal life, this, this sort of cheating death thing, uh, but it's in a mechanism in a way that is sort of part and parcel with the Shadowlands. Because what do the Shadowlands do? They take souls, they convert it into something else for whatever purpose, whether it's being reborn into uh, a Kyrian and, and becoming ascended, whether it's uh, being reborn as a different form in Ardenwell, whether it's being reborn in a different form uh, as one of the Venthyr, uh, as, as being reborn in a different form as one of the defenders in Maldraxxus. Like, that's sort of that 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 shtick, right? And the Drust are just basically doing exactly that. That is, in fact, what Odin is doing too. It is absolutely what's happening with Odin making his uh, with Stormforged. Storm yeah, yeah. It's basically stealing souls from Bastion, um, or you know, whatever his candidate. You know, the, those people mm. would end up in various places, but he's stealing souls from various that would have ended up Ooh. in various zones, and he's putting them instead inside of his Stormforged. Take it back a step even further. Look at the Titans and the Titan Forge and the machine that creates them. Is there a reason that the Curse of Flesh bestows upon these creations a soul? Because that's literally what happened. As they, I, become, I'm going to say strip. No, it's not the Curse of Flesh because they have souls. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. Is that they have souls from the very beginning? Where are they getting those souls from? Where Where well, is that energy going? Well, in? Where, where is it being pulled from? For, right? that, for that matter, I mean, you know, when you're born, when anybody in Azeroth is born, they have a soul. I don't know if we can go as far as to say that they're stealing those souls from the Shadowlands. That does kind of make us do an interesting question, though, is where do souls come from? Where does anima come from? Because the Shadowlands may send them back, but they don't make them. And that's exactly. an interesting thing. Souls come from life, perhaps. And we don't and we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. But there's interesting, like, this is setting up. What's really happening here, the thing that keeps coming to my mind, is that we're being set up to have a much broader Warcraft cosmology a much more in-depth involved one than we've had up to this point. And we're being shown that all the stuff we've seen, all the stuff we've experienced has just been the tip of the iceberg. It's just been the part you can see floating above the water and underneath the surface of the water is a, is just a ton more ice. There's a lot more of that than we've ever seen or known. And I'm telling you right now, Sargeras will be out. Soon. Oh yeah. Yep. It's not going to take a very long time. I'm, I'm waiting for him. I'm waiting for our moment of he told us so. Yeah, that's that's going to happen. We're going to end up being in a situation where I'm going to call this one now. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Fine. But what the heck? Not only will Sargeras be out, he'll be out because the Pantheon lets him out. And he's going to basically be, he's still going to be Sargeras, but he's going to be fighting alongside the Titans against something. Yep. And it's not going to be necessarily the Void Lords. Nope, the this is getting way bigger than just the Void Lords. The Void Lords will be involved, the Void will be there, but we have now know that there's something behind the Naru. 
Yeah, there's a there's an entity that created the Naru because they talk about it. They talk about the the yep. one that holds the reins of the Naru. Yeah, the the and you know, is it Alun? We don't know, but Alun is definitely involved because Alun, the the tier of Alun is what created allowed the Naru to recreate uh, Zira when when they thought there was no way. It was the tier of the Alun that allowed them to activate the the core. So yeah. And the Tear of Alun had an impact not only on that, but look at the Ysera storyline. And, and again, mild spoilers, we know that Ysera was not just cleansed or, or, or... So that entire scene, I think we've been... I don't want to say thinking about it wrong. I don't think we killed Ysera. I think the entire purpose of that last sequence... And, and because you play through it as one of the things in Ardenweld, you play through that experience from Ysera's point of view... I don't think it's killing her. I think it's literally ripping her soul out of her body and sending it to the Shadowlands to be purified. Like, it's deconstructing her and sending her to another realm of existence, not killing her necessarily. Well, which I mean, is, it definitely which is seems, why the Tear of Alun needed to be necessary for that. It also definitely seems that her role in Ardenweald is much more like the Wild Gods and that there yes. seems to be a possibility she's coming back. Like that's the way it seems to be framed. I'm not gonna say 100 percent on that, but well, they, they made it pretty clear in the first interactions with her, where they, it, she's basically asked by what is ostensibly another god of like Ursok, who says, "Will you go back now?" And she goes, "No, I think I have more to do here. I think I'm tied to this place in a way that I have never thought of before." Like, I'm new here, but I feel like I belong here. Why is that? Why does she feel like she belongs here? Is that because she's a child of a loon? Is it because she's touched? Is it because that she was sent there by the tear of a loon? And a loon is tied to this place in the same way that the first ones are? And that's the, the another thing that I think is going to be interesting. We, we, we hear about the first ones, and I don't think it's just a clever reference to She-Ra uh, and the Princesses of Power. I think that this is... We talk about like the ordering of the universe. There were things before the Titans, before Amonthul woke up, there were other things. And if what happened to them, where did they go? What if we know the Titans and the Titans are these big, mysterious things and the Titans know all these things and have all this knowledge? How do they not know about the first ones or do they know about the first ones? That's my question is, yeah, because we see that the Titans can do stuff that seems to be first ones related in some fashion. It's quite possible that Titans are, if we, if we look at the six things, the six forces, is there something in the realm of order that sent the Titans into Azeroth? And if there is, is that thing one of the first ones? Is there a first one for every one of these prime forces? Like, are they the, like... For lack of a better word, are they the elders of the universe of, of this cosmology? Are they the, you know, like how Galactus was born out of the Big Bang sort of thing? Are they like that? Are they, you know, and I don't know, and it might not be related to it in any way. There's, we just, we know so little, but there's definitely something to this cosmology. And in fact, that's one of the beautiful things about it is with this one phrase, they've created a whole new level to this cosmology that we've never even had before. And it's like I said, the iceberg. I mean, there's that whole... We're just starting to see, we're just, by going to the Shadowlands, we're dropping below water level. Yeah, and and like, and like that's a really great way ice. to put it. But we're still only seeing, like, just a little. We've just gone just below the water level. There's so much more. Like, if the Shadowlands were created by the first ones, if the Maw was created as a prison, what was it created to hold? Was it created to hold the Jailer? 
or was it created, you know, for another purpose? The other you know, thing that before you go, and I do want to let you go. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the jailer's hole in his chest, the the black sphere. The arbiter has a similar look yes. in that area, but it's not. There's like light in there. Yeah, there's energy. There's actually like a core, like almost like that's the essence of the being, and the the framework is just essentially like the robot body that it lives in. More or, or less. something, yeah. I, but I just wanted to mention that. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the things that I think is interesting, is particularly talking about the cosmology, is let's look at it reverse in in talking about how big it's about to get. But I think it's also looking at how much of a thousand yard view the cosmology re received actually is. Because think about it, the Shadowlands is this small, tiny little circle in the representation that we've been given just at the edge of reality. And now that we actually get into the Shadowlands, we're starting to see how expansive it is. And I talked about this when I was streaming some beta uh, a couple weeks ago. When you are in Oribos and you look up, all you see are thousands and thousands and thousands of doorways. The same things that you summon down into the Ring of Transference... Uh, I think it's it's either the Ring of Transference or Ring of Traveling. I can't remember. Um, that to go to the specific areas of the Shadowlands, to go to Bastion, to go to Ardenweld, to go to Maldraxxus, to go to Revendreth. And you look up and there are just thousands upon thousands of these gateways floating up there. The Shadowlands right. is larger than we think it is. It's well, larger than I, we're seeing. What does that mean I, for I, everything else? Yeah, I don't mean to like just change subjects abruptly, but we haven't even talked about the Maldraxxus short. Which we this, should, yeah. <laughs> the show is almost over, so uh, do you want to cover Go that for one? It, you please. Want to? Okay. Basically, the Maldraxxus short is a lot. In in a way, it's a little simpler. It's a lot straightforward than the yeah. Bastion one because it's just perspective prevented from one perspective, and it's there's not a lot of mystery to it. I will say that I still do find it incredibly sad that after she died, saving her son alongside her husband and life mate that we never see what happened to her life mate. There's no, one of the things I find really haunting with the Shadowlands is that your entire mortal life is just thrown away. And that's what happens here. Uh, Draka, Thrall's mother, um, is in Maldraxxus being trained. And she even says, I don't understand what they're training me to do. I don't get why I'm here. Um, Cause they're training her to be a spy and assassin, which is not something she was in life. I mean, she could fight, Absolutely. But she wasn't a, a spy or assassin. That's not, that's not who she was. But obviously again, Maldraxxus doesn't seem to care. That's it's weird because every realm so far has a different relationship to the, like the way you were as a mortal. Like Ardenweald is about kind of going back. It's about the cycle and, and reincarnation and recreation and, and how death feeds life. Mm -hmm. Bastion is very much about just abandon everything, including your, you know, Abandon even your memories, abandon everything that makes you who you are and become a part of this, of just duty and service. And that's all you get to be. You don't get to be a person in Bastion. You just become service. Maldraxxus is different in that they don't make you forget, but they don't seem to care about anything involving your life. Like nothing you did in life seems to matter. They, they, they have want raw material. You've proven your, you have like Maldraxxus seems to be about, you've got the will to fight and that's all we care about. And 
there, one of the things that you see in the short as it goes through is you see her doing missions. One of those missions is clearly to attack a legion uh, outpost to get secrets to, from it. To back it up just a little bit, there the the Maldraxxus. For those that don't understand, there there were five great houses that ruled Maldraxxus in the defending area. When she gets there, specifically, she's working with or she's been recruited by the House of Eyes. Uh, yeah, which is the spy group. Yeah, they're the, they're the spy group, and not only is she there, but this is also the same house that Lady Vosh appears in, uh, now Baroness. But like, she, this is not a warrior house necessarily. This is the no. information core of the the military wing of Maldraxxus. But again, it's about that will to fight, to will yeah. to struggle. Um, you you see her. Doing like I said, do one of the missions she does is clearly in infiltrating a legion something. There's 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 those big green dudes with the big green axes. Uh but she comes back and she's like reporting to the head of the House of Eyes and she's like, you know, he's like, you know, this one the one house has already been destroyed as they're talking. Look, one of the houses of Maldrax has already been destroyed. He's like, I you know, I've got this message for you to deliver to this other house. And again, I can't remember the house names. Do you remember the house that she's she's sent to? Uh, the House of the Champions. Yeah. And she's sent to go report to that guy. And as she's leaving, something destroys the House of Eyes thing that she was just in. Like she sees it get destroyed. And she rides up, and she, there's two Maldraxxus, like undead, standing there. And she's like, Brothers, help me. They, you know, and, and they attack her. Mm-hmm. And she she goes stealth mode and kills them because she's Draka and she's badass. Absolutely cool. Cool moment, Draka. Um, you're super hot, by the way. Um, but that whole bit when she does that and then she reports to the, the, the house of champions and he's the guy she reports to is like, sorry, you chosen, know, chosen house of the chosen. house of chosen. Thank you. Uh, when she reports to them, she, she delivers a message and the message basically says, here is the weapon you will. I, I have for, I present to you the weapon you will need to, to save Maldraxxus. And she's like, he didn't give me anything else. And the guy's like, what a, a warrior with the skills of an assassin. I think maybe he did give us something and that's how it ends. And there's a lot in here. Like, for instance, that connection again to the Legion, which connects up with the whole, the thing we started talking about with the, the Nathrazim, that, that's interesting because it seems like other forces in the Shadowlands are also studying the other groups in the cosmos. Um, and the Shadowlands, it's interesting because the Shadowlands, for all that they're a realm of death, Bastion is full of the light. It's all over the freaking place. Um, you, it, the and, light even the, touches Revendreth. Like there's an entire yeah. zone of Revendreth where it's refocused, but the light still touches there as well. And for that matter, I mean, the void invades Bastion at one point. There, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but what's really interesting to me about the, the Draga thing, besides the, the haunting painful aspect of your entire mortal life gets tossed in the trash uh, and you just have to do this stuff is this idea that there variously, there's always been threats to the Shadowlands. Because that's what Meldraxxus was set up to do, is defend the Shadowlands from other forces trying to invade the Realm of Death. And that's been going on all this time. So, like, from the moment the Shadowlands was created, whenever that was, they needed an army to defend them. Because people were trying to come in. Because, of course, they were. People don't want to be dead. And there's power. There's tons of power to be stolen. There's all this anima there. Of course, you're trying to get in and take it. I just it, that to me is really fascinating, and it, it's not something we we need to see more to to know really what that means. That that there needed to be a place to defend the Shadowlands, but 
that to me is like the, the, the moment you really take away from, Oh, they had a reason for building this. So again, it goes back to the first ones. It goes back to like, what was the Shadowlands made for? Who made it? Why was it created? But that, that to me is really interesting. The, the thing for me with the Maldraxxus afterlife short is I agree that it's much more straightforward than Bastion was. And I think it's far less shocking uh, than Bastion was because Bastion presented a lot of new information on old things that we've been speculating about for years, uh, even before the whole Nathrazim angle was was presented uh, just a few days ago to us. It was causing a lot of things to start to click into place of certain events and how things sort of happened, at least for me. What Maldraxxus does is it widens the playing field. We... And I've said this for years, and I will continue to say this. Player characters and even the NPCs we work with and the nations we serve are incredibly short-sighted. That's just the nature of us. We are... That's just how we are. We... We look at the immediate threat. We don't look at the long game. Maldraxxus has... That entire short points out that at least some entities that have direct, I wouldn't say direct, but like have like a layer of separation from us that is so minute because when we die, we go to the Shadowlands. They're just on the other side of that veil. You know, reach out and touch them, whatever. It's, they have a a view grander by an order of magnitude of what's going on. Um, a Carrick, uh, Margrave Akarak, the leader of the House of Eyes, makes that point very clearly in his actions and how everything happens with Draka because the training sequence, everything that he put her through was for a very specific purpose. We don't know to the extent of what that is yet, but we will. Uh, But it's because he had a, a larger view of the cosmic game and what's at stake. And I think that's fascinating because we've been so focused on, old gods and void lords and you know what are the titans and all this other stuff we didn't stop to consider at least as a a larger group that there is something bigger and something more possibly damaging uh than even those large threats and it makes me think we talked about this a little bit. I'm starting to think that there is going to be this at this point where Sargeras and the Titans stand beside us, but so do the Void Lords, because yes, they can see all paths, and all paths are true. And they even talk about this in the letter that they might be able to see this path, that they might be able to see the end game. The one thing we keep talking about is that the old gods in the Void—they're not dumb. They're not done by any stretch of the imagination. And maybe they have that sort of capability of seeing too wide of a game, uh, but maybe they can zero in on it. And I keep thinking, what potentially could cause all of that to come together? What what out there would be threatening enough to cause everything to have to work towards one goal? And I think that the answer is going to be somewhere in the middle of, of what we're dealing with. We're going to start to find out little bits and pieces. Like I said, where did the first ones go? Are the first ones still out there? Are When you talk about the six high seats, is it because they're the first ones of the these pocket dimensions of life and order and death and, and everything else? Are they still there? 
is something preventing them from having direct intervention? Are they preventing themselves from having direct intervention? Is there something that works in direct opposition to them? Because there's that line about one that will consume them all. I don't necessarily think it's the jailer. I think there's something bigger than the jailer. And the Madraxa short sort of drove that home for me. So I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. I think what the jailer is doing is trying to escape something that was built to hold something. And I don't know if it was built to hold the jailer. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Like, you know, the whole idea there always must be a Lich King. There must always be a jailer. Maybe maybe the reason we need a jailer of the damned is because something was damned. Maybe the maw is, isn't just a prison plane. I'm going to steal this. This is an idea that goes back to Exalted. If you ever played Exalted. Yep, I was going to bring. Yep. But what if the Maw itself is the thing you need to keep locked away? Because it eats souls. Because it it is the true death. No life comes back from it. Anima doesn't go anywhere else. That's just something I've been thinking about. I'm not going to. That's let's for now. I think we should probably be done. I think so, too. That's (laughs) something that can I put out there. The maw itself might be the problem. So I want to hear your guys' theories out there on what you think might be going on. Be sure to hit us up. Uh, we've been paying attention to chat. I've been interacting in chat the last couple of days, uh, particularly just kind of seeing how everybody's been reacting to it. Feel free to, to throw it in there on our Discord channel. We do have a, a supporter and uh, patron chat section. Uh, and as always, like we want your questions too. So if you have questions that you want us to answer, feel free to send them in for this podcast or the other one. You can send them in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can also give them to our Discord channels. We have one set aside for uh, patrons and supporters, which we will always give preference to, which thank you for your continued support. But if you can't necessarily swing that and you just want to throw questions our way as well, you can go ahead and we have a a regular chat channel for those, which is the Q questions, and we do pull from there as well. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the Q, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, So without anything more to say I think I just want to thank everybody for all of your continued support and we'll see you next week Dolphins Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.